Welcome to SciShow Tangent, since the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining this week is Forbes 30 Under 30 Education Luminary, Sari Riley. Hello! And our resident, uh, complexly 30 Under 30 Everyman, Sam Schultz. I'm 36. <laughs> 36 under 36, I mean 37 <laughs> under 37 Luminary Sam Schultz. Uh, last week we had to talk all about Sari, but but we also wanted to talk about what animal we are least afraid of. Of course, fish is the worst answer because that's half of the vertebrates and it includes some of the scariest vertebrates. Right. I get not being afraid of fish while you're on land. But if a fish jumps out of the water and flops against you, it's all gooey and I'd be like, ugh. And that counts as fear, in my opinion. So I am more afraid of that than I yeah. am of other creatures. I'll tell you what. You put a fish in my bed in the middle of the night, I will terrifying. be terrified. I, will be I don't so think scared. there's an animal that would show up in my bed in the middle of the night that I wouldn't be terrified. <laughs> I don't Even think my that's cat. true. Just my cats. My yeah. cat still startles me. I'm woken up. I go, ah, <laughs> what's this? What if you yeah. woke up and there was like a quokka in your bed? You ever seen a quokka? I feel like if I woke up and there was a quokka in my bed, I would be charmed. I would be confused and scared. I think that's <laughs> okay, a well. normal person response. <laughs> okay. All right. What animal can show up in your bed and is the least scary? <laughs> Dust mites. Ooh, no. That's the... Well, they're there anyway. The thought of them being there is skin crawling, though. I think if I woke up and there was a weird cat in my bed, I would yeah. say, hello, weird cat. Let's go back to sleep. Even a stranger cat. Even a stranger cat. I think if it was snuggled up on my feet, I'd yeah. say... We'll deal with this in the morning, my friend. Sleep tight. <laughs> I have had that almost experience, which is during one of my my summers of unpaid internships, I instead of finding housing, I found a sketchy Airbnb like knockoff. I lived in the attic of someone's house, and one day a oh. random dog showed up. And I was like, "What the hell? Here's a dog now." And it just hung out <laughs> with me for I would say three to four hours and then walk down the stairs. Never saw it again the rest of the summer. Were you scared? Um, and I wasn't freaked out by that. No. So mm. daytime is very yeah. different than showing up in my bed, I guess. I think that the least scary animal is probably a domesticated animal because yeah. they're, they're, you're used to them and they're used to you. This is it. You need it to be small. What's mm. the smallest dog? Yeah, like <sighs> a puppy. Like a small, oh, yes. uh, cute puppy. puppy. Specifically. Like, a, like a corgi puppy or something. If you yes. had a corgi puppy in your bed, mm-hmm. there's nobody in the whole world who'd be scared of that. Right, right. Like, because it's extremely cute. You're familiar with it. And if you had to, you could kill it. <laughs> Which isn't important. <laughs> That's important. It's, yeah. Yeah. For self-defense, <laughs> you could roll over and squish. <laughs> if, if if push comes to shove, I can end that animal fast. Yeah. Or remove it. Like if you want to be if you want to be yeah, more humane, remove out, it from it the, in the bed. Bathroom. Remove it from the situation is uh-huh. light. Which I guess brings us back to fish also, because you can mm. knock a fish off your bed pretty easily. They're so slimy yeah. though. If you moved your arm and touched a slimy fish, you would be terrified. If you moved your arm and touched a warm, fuzzy puppy, you would be delighted. A, pup, a puppy could definitely bite you more than like a guppy. So there's that. But like there, there's just the familiarity of a puppy bite where it's like, oh, you know, I'm not scared of a puppy bite. Whereas just like <laughs> yeah. the existence of a guppy 
kind of unsettling. This is weird. Do you just you think it's fish, Sarah? You think fish I think is it, the I'm right coming answer. around to fish. I'm coming. Like don't say fish. Not fish generically, <laughs> like a very specific, like a killie yeah. fish or something very small, a zebra fish. Like if I found a sardine <laughs> in the bed, I'd be like, oh, that's what? gross, but easily yeah. removed, right? Ah, uh, okay, whatever. Rather that's than like, weird. I think, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of moving towards like nematodes at this point, where I'm like. Like the kind of animal that's just around and you don't even ever think about it. It depends really on the criteria of least yeah. afraid. Yeah. As in, are we swinging the other direction of, right. I actively want this here, or am I just neutral to its presence? That's the alternate response to your dust mites. Instead of being like, ooh, I'm, I'm harrowed by this idea of dust mites on my face, you can be like, these are all my friends. These yeah, are my that's true. I'm never, I'm like, never I'm alone. Just, Friends. Never really alone. Yeah. Can I be lonely if I'm covered in bugs? <laughs> in my hair follicles? Eating my dead skin? Look at them doing me a favor. I don't know. You can't say covered. I can't see them. It's great. Having sex and making babies their whole lives. All oh, I thought you meant anyway. they were with you while you were doing that. <laughs> <laughs> True. Also yeah. that, though. Yes, that and the other. We are... <laughs> Anyway, every week on Tangents, we get together to try to one-up amaze and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for glory, but also I will award them Hank Bucks as we play, and at the end of the episode, one of them will win. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. This week from Sam. For refrigerators, we must give it up. They keep all our food from turning to muck. Keep medicine stable and keep us all cool. To dismiss them completely would be the act of a fool. But to make it cold in that box takes a bit of hydrofluorocarbons and toxic shit that leaches into the world (laughs) when they get thrown away and contribute to climate change with each passing day. But the thing about refrigerators that most bothers me is that when shortened to fridge, it's suddenly spelled with a D. That's my Mm. whole poem. (laughs) <laughs> Where does the D come from? <laughs> that was that was a weird one, Sam. Rhyme scheme threw me off some. Uh, <laughs> Content threw me off some. It was a roller coaster of a poem. They can't yeah. all be winners. I had to talk about the D thing. <laughs> it's just the language's fault. I think we made the right choice. I think we did too, but I don't. It just it preys on my mind. I always wanted to make a fast food restaurant called Fridge that sells stuff that you can microwave when you get home. I feel like I would want you to microwave it for me. 
if it's yeah. fast food. Well, then it would be called microwaves. Microwave. <laughs> Fridge is such a good word. Yeah. So really, Fridge. it's all built around that idea. But that's a good <laughs> point, Sari. Uh, maybe it's like a bunch of food where it's like you take it home and you can have it a bunch of times. And keep yeah. it in your fridge I in the meantime. I want to buy a casserole of lasagna and not have to make it myself. Well, you can. That's one of the most that things that you can do is lasagna. Where? How? At every store? Like a big one? I want a big one. Yeah. I want like several meals. of. You can like buy a big tray of lasagna? Yeah. Oh, sure. In the freezer From section? The, in the, really? Stouffer's. Stouffer's. Yeah. They're like Marie Callender. They're like single, single oh, serving. Go to, go to Costco, my friend. I'm sure you could get the largest lasagna you've ever seen. Or even just at like a... A Safeway or something. I feel yeah. like next to there's the individual box meals, and then yeah. there are the family size. Yeah, right. everybody send Hank some big lasagnas. <laughs> <laughs> my, my my address is five 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 Fifth Street, Missoula, Montana. <laughs> five 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 five. Send me your biggest lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard you talk about this idea a lot, but I didn't know that you didn't know that you could get giant frozen lasagnas. That changes the that, that changes the idea. Lasagna. Well, maybe I want them to be fresh, but but cold and not like frozen. Frozen. I want. I don't know. That's I nice. don't know what I want. I want what I want is for food to be good and cheap. Well, refrigerators help no. with that. Maybe they do. Is that a segue? Sarah, what's a refrigeration? <laughs> <laughs> I do have an answer to the why does it have a D? Yeah, of oh, course right. you do. What is it? So refrigerator, the etymology of refrigeration, the word has been the same way fr- from like French. It basically looked the same as refrigeration. Latin refrigeration um, mm. comes from the word like frigid, um, which sure. just means make cool. And then the refrigeration is to cool down again. And it was used... In alchemy contexts, which I thought was interesting, or like to cool down heat when you were sick and had a fever. So you like re-cool down yourself. So as opposed to like refrigerating food, it's you're refrigerating yourself. Mm -hmm. And so the, the word refrigeration existed and those letters made those sounds. But then when you shorten refrigerator to fridge, you start you you're left with basically what Hank said, F R I G. But then mm-hmm. frig, like you, you, you would <laughs> you assume that. that it's That's not gonna uh, work. that G, like flag or hog or sprig or frig. And so people were like, I don't want I don't want that word to sound like that in English <laughs> um, because I don't want to call get the ham out of the frig, frig over there. That's not good. Um, so then we changed the spelling to mimic words like bridge or ridge or smidge sure. where that DG uh, makes that J. The the soft G sound or the it was we Merriam Merriam Webster. This was Merriam Webster where I found this explanation. Oh my God. So old okay. Merriam and old Webster, the two guys they got together. This word <laughs> is disgusting. Whispered to each other and said, yeah. "How do we make the G make the J sound?" But refrigeration is any time where you like use electricity to make cold. It feels like I guess yeah. you don't have to use electricity. Could just like bring in a block of ice. It's just any sort of making making cold. Yeah. So nowadays we use electricity or um, refrigerants or heat pumps or some sort of technology. But the simplest example of refrigeration is like a cooler you bring to your backyard where you s- stick ice in it and you stick other things and then the ice um, evaporates over time. 
And much in the same way that when your sweat evaporates from your body, it feels cooler because it takes heat, takes heat or some sort of energy to make a liquid turn into a gas and evaporate. The way hot turns cold and vice versa seems so so simple, but is like genuinely one of the most while I was reading about it, like, what the hell kind of thing? It's so complicated, I think. Yeah, I feel like I feel like hot is very easy. Hot is like, "Mm, there's jiggles. I'm going to give my jiggles to you and make more jiggles. Whereas getting jiggles out. (laughs) Good luck. Yeah. Uh, temperature is bad. Thermodynamics <laughs> <laughs> are bad. Uh, this is the class that I was, I think, closest to failing. A TA looked me in the eyes and said, I don't know how to help you. And that really shook my educational journey. <laughs> really colored the rest of your life, huh? <laughs> yeah. I did change majors after that. I passed the class, oh, but brutal. changed majors. But basically, <laughs> if state changes of chemicals, um, so like using water as an example, you can change pressure to change it from a liquid to a gas. So mm-hmm. there's like this thing called vapor pressure, but basically when chemicals are at higher pressure, then they tend to condense into liquids. When they're at lower pressures, then they evaporate or sublimate. Um, evaporate is from liquid to gas, sublimate is from solid to gas. And then mm-hmm. another way you can change the state of a chemical is temperature. So a certain amount of temperature or heat where below that temperature, they are generally a liquid or a solid. And then above that, then they evaporate or sublimate and turn into a gas. So all these things are related. And refrigerants are chemicals that change in temperature and pressure in ways that we can control at room temperature and at reasonable amounts. And so we use these exchanges in temperature and pressure like Mm -hmm. squeezing them at certain times, letting them evaporate at other times. Um, And generally that transition from a liquid to a gas, like thinking of sweat evaporating off of your skin, takes heat or takes that energy. Heat goes with it. Heat Mm -hmm. goes with it. Yeah. So heat, you need wiggles. You need the energy from the wiggle to evaporate into a gas. Yeah. And so the wiggles get sucked out of the fridge by these refrigerant chemicals that use the wiggles to turn into gas. They just mm. like, they take carry it, the wiggles away. The, the gas doesn't then go into the atmosphere. You like capture it and then recondense it with electricity. But the wiggles, the, the wiggles radiate out of like the pipes that are back there. Is that right? Is that yeah. where the wiggles go? That's why okay. the back of your fridge is hot. So it's, like it's not like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it yeah. doesn't go any That's, nowhere. Yeah. It has to, radiate out right right so and and you can never cool your room down by opening your fridge because it's just gonna create heat out the back you have to stick the back of your fridge outside and the front of your fridge inside and then it will cool off your house and that's what air conditioners are oh, okay now we're getting somewhere <laughs> now i'm understanding <laughs> and we've already done the etymology look at us which means that it's time to move on to the quiz portion of our show today we're going to be playing a game called fridge or not fridge <laughs> Getting a new fridge can be overwhelming, Deboki has written. <laughs> and, I, and yeah, totally. I'm terrified of getting a new fridge. Our fridge broke recently, like the motherboard uh, fritzed out, and I was like, it's a fridge. Why, Why does it have a motherboard? motherboard? I'm, not play, I'm not like playing Quake on this thing. Yeah, you got you got Orin playing Roblox on there or what? <laughs> <laughs> Oof. There are so many things. <laughs> <laughs> to think about when you get a new fridge, like the layout and the color and whether or not you could play Roblox on it. And on top of all of that, 
there are lots of refrigerator technologies to know about. So today we're going to play a game called Fridge or Not Fridge, where together we'll be doing some refrigerator shopping. I'm going to tell you some kind of device and you, our hopefully discerning shoppers, will have to decide whether what I'm (laughs) describing to you is a fridge or not. So we're basically helping you find a new fridge. By the end of this game, you'll have your new fridge picked out, right? Correct. (laughs) So round number one, what are we going to learn about today? Well, first up, we have a thin plastic tube that is roughly the size of a ballpoint pen cartridge. Water flows into the tube at one end and out at the other. And extended through the tube is a bundle of nickel titanium wires that can twist and untwist. Is this a fridge or not a fridge? Duh. Not a fridge, but I have no idea why, which I think will be my answer for all of these. Yeah. (laughs) You'll say, that doesn't sound like a fridge. I can't put food in there. That's not any fridge I ever heard of. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also going to say, I'm going to say not a fridge also. It sounds like a a water filter. Oh, yeah. Can we guess what it is? Yeah, yeah. What do you think it is? It's a desalination machine. That's yeah, what it sure, is. Sure, sure. It's uh it is in fact a fridge. Wow. Oh, no. it's, it's a tiny <laughs> fridge. It's a proof of concept to show that we might be able to use twisting and untwisting of certain materials to create a more efficient refrigerator. So scientists in the nineteenth century realized that stretching out rubber causes the rubber to warm up. And if yeah, you let it relax, right. the rubber will cool back down. And that change in heat is due to the changes in entropy. Stretching the uh, entropy makes the fibers inside more orderly and less entropy. Less entropy means the rubber has to pull in heat, warming it up. And when the rubber is relaxed again, the entropy goes up and the rubber gets cooler. Wild, 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 wild. In 2019, scientists adapted that concept, trying out twisting rubber instead of stretching it. And they also tested several materials, including rubber bands, fishing line, and nickel titanium to see how the surface temperature changed when twisted or stretched out. Uh, Of the materials they tried, the nickel titanium actually performed particularly well. So they created this little fridge with these twisted wires and found that it could cool the water in the tube down by 8 degrees Celsius. I guess, and refrigeration, that's the other thing I got to keep in my mind. Refrigeration is any sort of cooling. Any sort of cooling. Doesn't yeah, have doesn't, to be. Doesn't have to be with like the Ants. gases and the evaporation. Yeah. Doesn't have to make me like a nice chilled soda pop. It can be just a little, right. a little cool breeze. <laughs> it's just blow through the tube and air comes out a little colder on <laughs> the other counts, side yeah. as the nickel titanium untwists. <laughs> Round number two, our next model is roughly the size of a credit card, and it can be plugged into your phone. The device is filled with water and 10 chambers, each of which hold lithium bromide that reacts to the heat from the phone. Is this a fridge or not a fridge? Oh, why you gotta cool down your phone? There's no reason. It's a a battery, I bet. Sometimes, Sometimes your phone gets hot. Yeah, but you just put it down for a while and walk away. And come back later, and it's okay. I'm going to say it is a fridge. And yes, it just is a fridge. I don't have to guess what it is because it's a fridge. (laughs) I'll give you a bonus point if you tell me how you think this fridge works. Oh, shoot. It's a fridge. (laughs) I think it works by, oh, I don't know anything about lithium bromide. It's it's like a cow's stomach, but instead of each grass being more chewed, each little chamber gets a little bit more cold. And then- That's great. It's this. not a fridge. It's not a fridge. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but maybe you invented a new fridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, no, it's 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 inspired by a phone charger that uses salt water and oxygen to create electricity, which you can read about on Live Science by going to pocket size smartphone charger uses water. Our last <laughs> round. Let's Google that. Our last model uh, consists of two steel spheres, each with a diameter of about mm. 10 inches. The two spheres are connected by a pipe that's shaped like an upside down U. And that allows ammonia and water to travel along the contraption. You'll need to bring in some additional items to operate this model, though, including kerosene and a cold bath. Is this a fridge or not a fridge? This is all nonsense. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, and probably. anytime you mess with temperature, it's a load of nonsense. Yeah, and probably if you got like microscopic enough, it's cooling down something enough to count as a fridge. Who knows? It's a fridge. This is a fridge. The ice bath is throwing me off, or the cold water. Like you have to introduce that seems like cold cheating, water. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it, already it cold. creates even more cold than the cold bath. Yeah. I'm going to, yes, it's a fridge and it's like whiskey stones. You just make the ball really cold and then <laughs> you put it in a, a space and then it works like a reusable Whatever. ice block, but it's a fridge because you make it cold. Well, it's called the icy ball and it's <laughs> no, it's not. in the 1930s. <laughs> no, it's okay, not that's the, the 1930s icy ball. <laughs> yeah. So the beauty of this fridge is that it doesn't require electricity, which made it very appealing for the people living in rural areas who couldn't access electricity or ice easily. Icy Ball is a vapor absorption refrigerator using a refrigerant that evaporates and in doing so cools down the surrounding temperature, uh -huh. similar to the effect of sweat on skin, like Sarah was talking about. One ball is considered a hot ball. And the other ball is a cold ball. <laughs> the Icy Ball can... <laughs> <laughs> is that how that works <laughs> yes Sarah. i'm not familiar the icy ball can, can only really work in like a batch mode you have to effectively like charge up uh the the icy ball to get it working for the day and that starts by heating up the hot ball over a kerosene flame and then submerging the cold ball in cold water and that allows ammonia gas in the hot bottle to condense back into the cold ball and then you remove the hot ball from the flame and you put it in the cold water, which means the ammonia in the cold ball can begin to evaporate. And that evaporation causes the cold ball to cool down so that it can be kept in an insulated cold chest with all the things you want to keep cold. In summer, a charged up icy ball could keep your food cold for around a day. I love icy ball. Yeah, it looks way less dumb than I was picturing. It looks cool. <laughs> Well, if we ever end up in a post-apocalyptic world and people listen to this podcast in after the apocalypse, I don't yeah. know how you're doing it. Maybe it's on vinyl. Then you can now you know how to make an icy ball. Go make the icy ball. I feel like the ammonia is the hard part. Ah, we can make ammonia. You just got chickens. They making it all the all the time. Evaporate it off, great. condense it into your icy ball. Boom. We should pivot to a post-apocalyptic survival guide. Yeah. A comedy post-apocalyptic survival guide. The dumbest, the dumbest <laughs> icy balls and guide. other tips for the end of the yeah. world. How would you build it all from scratch? Ammonia from chickens, yeah. probably. All right, good job, everybody. But Sam came out on top. Next up, we're going to take a short break. Then it'll be time for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as a... <laughs> 
the internet science man was opening an online store, something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow. I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the, 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 the part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, <laughs> yeah, Shopify yeah. has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my first... basement. It was my <laughs> basement of my own home okay. that I was renting. The downstairs okay. of. <laughs> If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Miriam Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. 
Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers and the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 plus Manuka honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Now it's time for the Fact Off. Our panelists have all brought science facts to present in an attempt to blow my mind. And after they have presented their facts, I will judge them and award them points. And to decide who goes first, though, I have a trivia question. Companies resort to all kinds of methods to demonstrate just how good their refrigerators are. For example, Frigidaire once put their refrigerator to the ultimate test. They had an elephant stand on it. In what year did Frigidaire perform that stunt? Who would care if their fridge is strong enough for an elephant to stand on it? What does that matter? Elephants were new, man. They just came out. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a trade show carnival kind of thing. Step right up. Yeah, just like probably around the same time Thomas Edison was electrocuting them. (laughs) We had elephants to spare. Uh... I'd say the 20, no, the, the, ten, the, the, the OOs, the 19 OOs. Mm, I'm going to say the 1920s. Sari was closer. It was 1939. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's pretty. That's so guess... late to do something so silly. Well, I will say that Edison electrocuted the elephant in 1903. So Sam, you were, if you were, if you were on my wavelength, that was the right guess. That's what I was basing it on. You really colored my answer there. And I mean, Sari gets to go first. So one of the ways that physicists get temperatures really, really cold is with a technology called dilution refrigeration. This is like down to two millikelvins, so two thousandths of a Kelvin, which is barely above absolute zero and colder than the Boomerang Nebula, which is at around one whole Kelvin, which is the coldest spot of outer space that I could find. Uh, yep. Okay, cool. Good fact check. In the- <laughs> I never know when I say things about space. You know, it's a big universe. I'm yeah. sure there's a colder spot, but... So far. Um, but besides just trying to push boundaries, these extreme dilution refrigerators help with particle accelerator, superconductor, and quantum computing experiments, which are all kinds of things that require basically no heat or wiggles to work. My general understanding of how dilution refrigerators work is that there is a chamber with two types of really cold liquid helium atoms inside. So there's helium-4, which is the more common isotope we see in balloons and whatnot with two protons and two neutrons. And then there's helium-3, which is much more rare and has two protons but just one neutron. I'm using a little hand-waving here because I am not a super cold physicist. Uh, The gist is that a mixture of helium-4 and helium-3 atoms that gets cooled down will start to separate into two different phases, like how oil and water separate. But each of the phases have different amounts of helium-3 inside. And that shift of helium-3 atoms as the phases separate is the dilution that takes energy and therefore sucks up heat and makes everything around it colder, sort of like that evaporative cooling that we've been talking about. It's just all very extreme, so you can get things down super cold. And in addition to needing environments that are super cold to tinker on quantum computing and whatnot, you also need materials that are resistant to changes in heat to keep potential wiggles out of these systems. So some scientists are developing materials that are really resistant to temperature changes and using 
dilution refrigerators to test them. So in other words, these materials are thermal insulators, but many are expensive and or proprietary. So all that set up to say, in a paper published in December 2019, a group of physicists at Lancaster University in the UK decided to play with their very fancy dilution refrigerator and cool down a much cheaper and more easily available material for Lego bricks and a minifigure. My gut from reading their press release says that part of this was like, haha, we have an extremely cold fridge in our nerds, so let's see what happens when we put Legos inside. But that's not to say that they didn't do real science. They tested cooling down a vertical stack of four two by four Lego bricks to around 4.5 millikelvins for nine days to make sure it was super, super cold all the way throughout. And then they applied increasing but still tiny amounts of heat to a plate on the top Lego, raising it up to around one Kelvin. And we're constantly measuring a plate on the bottom Lego for any changes. And there wasn't any significant change in the plate temperature which is, in their words, quote, an order of magnitude lower thermal conductance than the best bulk thermal insulator, which is one of the fancy glass ceramic materials that's super expensive and proprietary. So Lego bricks aren't made of anything super special. It's a widely available plastic called acrylonitrile butadiene styrene, or ABS. So they were really... Just that. Just... (laughs) (laughs) ABS. Do you practice that, or are you just that way, where you can say (laughs) things like that? I'm just that way. I've trained my whole life. <laughs> it's the it's the education luminary that I can just say chemicals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they were pleasantly surprised at the results. This is the kind of plastic that's in like 3D printers nowadays or like fairly common, like a thermoform plastic. Um, and they also think that the excellent thermal insulation isn't just that plastic. It might be helped by all the air pockets in Lego bricks uh, that are separating them in the stack. But this feels like very quintessential like nerds in a lab to me, just trying something out because you can, because you have the tools there. And also maybe quantum computers will be made out of Legos someday. Who knows? Not me. I'm not a physicist. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, why not make the world's coldest Legos? That's very cold. Somebody's got to do it. 1.6 milli-degrees above absolute zero. I wouldn't want to go there, but I'm not a Lego man. He's braver than us all. He's the, also the least scary animal I could imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wake up with the Lego in your bed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Might, yeah. might give you a little poke, but that's okay. Hey, how do you get here, little guy? And then set him up on my little toy shelf, and that's it. Yeah. No, no questions asked at all. Is this like a, a thing that they could use? <laughs> I think what I was getting, I, I think the yeah. idea is that we might not need necessarily to spend as much money on really expensive materials, either plastics or ceramic glasses or other things to make these semiconductors or quantum computers. Uh Uh We can use plain old ABS with some air pockets inside and get a similar result. And like maybe key components need to be made of the more expensive stuff, but like we can look cheaper yeah, the future is even closer than we think because we don't need all of that fancy stuff. We can get cold and do quantum computing, just build it out of Legos. Legos are pretty expensive, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> Sam, what do you got? Refrigerators are great, but like my poem says, they're also sort of terrible. They're filled with toxic and global warming, exacerbating chemicals, but they're also big and bulky and complicated because making hot into cold 
seems like it's a big ordeal because even after reading several explain like I'm five Reddit posts about it, I did not understand it. So that means it must be very complicated and complicated means filled with stuff that can break. And then you got to get a new fridge and then your old fridge gets thrown away and maybe all those chemicals leak out. Fridges have their issues, basically. So in an effort to make refrigeration more environmentally friendly, lighter and more efficient, with a sub-goal of making it easier for dummies like me to understand how refrigeration works. In 2004, Penn State worked with Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream and the U.S. Navy (laughs) to develop a prototype refrigerator that relied on sound waves rather than electric pumps to pump the refrigerant coolants around a refrigerator. So getting into things I don't understand incredibly well, even more so, sound waves are pressure waves, and pressure waves affect the temperature of the air. High pressure raises temperatures, and low pressure decreases temperatures. And that is why sometimes when you spray an aerosol can for a while, it can feel cold, uh, because the pressure in the can is changing from high to low and getting colder. Is that because there's less balls inside it wiggling, or what's going on there? I think it's because it is moving from a liquid, like a compressed liquid, into a gas. I, yeah, I think it's like similar to what we've been talking about of like the, mole- the molecules or atoms spacing out. If anyone who has taken a chemistry class, it's like PV equals NRT, the ideal gas law, like th- those things are interconnected mm, and mm. are the foundation of a lot of like these refrigeration machines, yeah. even the liquid refrigerants in the tubes as well as. Well, anyway. Yeah, thermal. yeah we can't, we're not going to hit same with a gas law. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> So thermoacoustic. I'm sure they got a lot out of it too. Sorry. So thermo (laughs) thermoacoustic chillers, which is the fancy science way to say fridge that uses sound waves, take advantage of the high and low pressure of sound waves to control temperature. So there's a chamber filled with helium gas, and there are layers of copper plates arranged very specifically to coincide with the high and low pressure areas of a 173 decibel sound wave produced in the chamber. So if I'm understanding what I read correctly, the copper is positioned so that it ends up being cooled by the low pressure helium and the high pressure helium ends up getting pushed out into a heat exchanger somehow, I think, by sound waves. So just like hot refrigerant is in a regular fridge pumped out. Uh, And so you have a cooling system that cuts out harmful refrigerants and cuts way down on the amount of moving parts needed to operate to basically just a speaker. So that sounds great, but you may have noticed that 2004 was 20 years ago and that we aren't all using sound-based refrigeration. And even before the 2004 experiment, people had been working on this since like the early 80s. And a thermoacoustic fridge even went up in a space shuttle in 1992. So scientists really want this to be a thing. I'm not actually sure why it's not a thing. An article I read said it doesn't scale well to industrial applications. So that probably has something to do with it. But just because we don't have them in our houses doesn't mean that thermoacoustic refrigeration isn't being used in practical ways. The James Webb Space Telescope uses a thermoacoustic cooler to keep its mid-infrared imager at a cool 7 Kelvin or negative 447 degrees Fahrenheit. That's okay. I also don't understand. And I can tell that you don't. <laughs> I didn't really try that hard to understand because it was too hard. Yeah. The the pressure waves move through a thing and somehow it's hitting. They have to arrange it just right. That's what they said. So that it's hitting the copper when it's cold and not mm-hmm. when it's warm. So it's very, oh, they have to put them in a very specific place. And then the mm-hmm. copper cools down and the hot nice. leaves somehow. I, I don't understand. But I do get that. Uh, that 
that something's happening and that it's working. Yeah. And it's very, that, that seems very cool. And you're just transmitting the, uh, the energy through pressure waves. Of mm-hmm. sound. Yes. You're just pumping it out of a speaker into helium and making waves. And it's, a, but it is a shame that it has to be a very specific noise though. Right. So you can't just like choose, you know, paint it black by the stones. Just, to, I like the idea that the web is up there listening to tub thumping and it's making. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you arranged the, if you arrange the copper plates, right, then it could be tub thumping. I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I do want the telescope to get hype and I want it when it gets hit by a micro meteorite, I want it to think, you know, I get it back up again. That's right. <laughs> that's right. I think that's true. Uh-huh. I like the idea also that any rich person who wanted to, or like audio engineer who was like, I want to figure out a thermoacoustic fridge for myself could theoretically make one for their favorite song, but you'd have to really commit because you'd have to rebuild your whole fridge once well, you get tired of that song playing. You also can't hear it because this was where I wasn't entirely sure because people, you can be around it and it doesn't make your ears explode, right. but 174 mm. decibels is like way louder than you're yeah. ever supposed to be around. But they said so if it depressurizes, there. then you can't hear it anymore because it's just oh. can only exist in that chamber somehow. Okay. So if it I, broke, it I wouldn't mean, make your head explode. It doesn't matter to me if I can hear it or not. It's like the the story that the Mars rover sings happy birthday know. to itself. Like, I don't need to hear it. <laughs> just, you just want something. You could tell all your friends. This, I, just this. Be, I just want to be sad about a lonely rover. <laughs> <laughs> not even dust mites having sex on it to keep it company. Yeah. It's too bad. Too bad. <laughs> they could at least send two dust mites. Just two dust mites. They're not going to yeah. survive Mars. So I have to choose between dilution refrigeration resulting in ultra cold Legos that are just <laughs> fine, apparently, or cooling things down with sound in space in a space telescope. It's going to be Sam. He's already winning. He <laughs> ran away with it. I love that. Even though uh, none of us actually understand how it works. It doesn't do it. It does. Yeah. There's a human who totally gets it. Yeah. Because look. Quantum computers, they're going to totally revolutionize the world and everything. It's coming. It's going to be a totally, we're not going to, we're not prepared for what that's going to be like. And Lego, very cold Lego might be involved. But I just conceptually, I want to cool things down with tub thumping. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time to ask the science couch. We've got a listener question for our virtual couch of finely honed scientific minds. Corey on Discord asks, sometimes when something has been in the freezer for a long time, it gets a sort of freezer taste to it. What exactly am I tasting? You know, this seems like the kind of thing I would know, but I don't have any idea. Molecules. It tastes like old water. So I must, water must have something to do with it, right? Mm. Like stagnant water. Sarah's just letting us hang out here. Yeah, what's happening? I can jump in at any time. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, it's always molecules. Taste is always molecules. If it's sort of musty, any sort of like enclosed container can be some combination of like dust, mold, bacteria, et cetera. If something spilled or exploded, there are certain kinds of volatile organic compounds or VOCs, uh, which are just like a fancy way to say 
um, organic molecules that become gas really easily and are often aromatic in some way that are pretty potent and it won't take much to have it absorb into any anything mm-hmm. around your fridge or like blow out <clears throat> into your nose and mouth. Um, so it might be that that you're smelling. That's just kind of like your house smells musty. Your fridge smells musty. It's just like sure. those things. But it could also be because of freezer burn because there's that like plasticky, watery smell. Mm-hmm. And so all freezer burn is, it's a combination of dehydration and reactions with oxygen molecules. So I could have guessed. I yeah. could have done it. I could have done it. <laughs> wasn't brave enough. I could have just said, it's probably oxygen reacting with things. Yeah. Like everything on Earth. I was surprised <laughs> Like that... me. Like I am oxygen reacting with things. <laughs> you usually just take stabs. And I was surprised that this is the one. Yeah. The chemistry yeah, one. you're too scared. Where you were like, huh? I can't. A freezer. <laughs> we get really intimidated, ev- everyone on this episode, with this idea of thermoacoustic therm- refrigeration yeah, and <laughs> quantum computing and physics. Um, but basically foods, foods are many, many chemicals, many substances together as a temperature and, and a lot of those substances within food, meats, vegetables, whatnot is water. And so when you freeze foods, when you stick room temperature foods into the freezer, um, and you don't sort of do like a flash freezing process, there is a, a, there over time as the food freezes, the water molecules in the food freezes. And if it does that slowly instead of quickly. The ice crystals that form as the water molecules come together are fairly big and chunky. After a long time, it becomes the kind of ice crystals that you see on top of ice cream that's been in your fridge for years and years and years. Then that's after like <laughs> multiple freeze-thaw cycles. Mm-hmm. But even just putting warm food, like a, a room temperature piece of meat that's not super well sealed into your freezer, um, ice crystals are going to form and that's going to like rupture some of those cell structures. and that those ice crystals are going to sublimate in the freezer, especially if it's a de- automatically defrosting freezer, which is meant to keep water out of there, dehumidify, and things like that. And so as those cell structures rupture, you're losing water, so your food is getting dehydrated, and that changes the texture, which also changes taste, because texture and taste are all intertwined in our system. Um, and then that also opens up those cells for oxygen that is floating around in your freezer because oxygen is everywhere unless you create a vacuum to float in and start reacting with the molecules in there. And oxygen is reacting with everything all the time. It's why like rust happens. Um, It's why people say like, let wine breathe for a bit. Like you want to have a little Mm -hmm. bit of oxidation reactions happening in there. With food, it can be good or bad. Like oxidation can help with the Maillard reactions. I think those are oxygen related reactions that give you like a crusty on pies or like Mm -hmm. on a, on a grilled steak. Um, but it can also cause like rancid smells and tastes. Um, Hmm. oxidation is related to like the rancidity of certain cheeses or food spoiling or meats going bad or things like that as well. So that can just like alter the taste and or those open cells. Like if you have dust or mold or bacteria, even at very small amounts and not pathogenic stuff, like all those other gassy, volatile organic compounds that are floating around in there are just going to like seep into your food as well. So it'll take on the odors of the freezer around it. The only way to really avoid this is like those, those really 
sturdy Ziploc bags or mm-hmm. whatever, like plastic bags mm-hmm. or Freezer vacuum bags. sealed stuff. Freezer mm-hmm. bags. Yeah. Um, where you keep the oxygen out as much as possible or you keep everything inside, like keep the water in, keep the oxygen mm-hmm. out so that you prevent that dehydration, that <clears throat> oxidation reaction. What's the oldest thing in your freezer? Ooh, good question. Let's save that one for next time. Okay, next time we'll talk about Make a note of it. Notes, Jess. Jess, make a note. <laughs> I have an answer. It's chilling. <laughs> oh, <no>. oh <laughs> literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to ask the Science Cats your question, you can follow us on Twitter and threads at SciShow Tangents, where we will send out topics for upcoming episodes every week. You can join us on SciShow Tangents Patreon and ask us on our Discord as well. Thank you to at Ungovernable G and at Melato Gelato on Twitter and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's very easy to do that. First, go to patreon.com slash tangents and become a patron. Get access to our Discord and our bonus episodes. Shout out to patron Les Aker for their support. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's super helpful and it helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell me about, about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Jess Stempert. Our associate producer is Eve Schmidt. Our editor is Seth Lixman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Julia Buzz Bazzio. Our editorial assistant is Jaboki Trakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tumamedish. Our executive producers are Nicole Sweeney and me, Hank Green. And of course, we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. In New Zealand, the National Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research, or NIWA, relies on volunteers to help them collect leopard seal scat from beaches. They have a whole guide online with tips like using an empty ice cream tub and refrigerating the sample away from food, children, or animals. (laughs) Researchers often freeze this scat until they have time to sift through all the stuff inside to learn about the seal's digestion and health. And in a press release from February 2019, Niwa scientists reported something weirder than usual in some frozen scat, a still-functioning USB stick with pictures of sea lions, not leopard seals, on it. Not super useful for science, but a silly media moment to try and recruit more poop-collecting volunteers. Oh, no. Did they eat a whole guy? This is sturdy. (laughs) Yeah.